This week's episode is brought to you by the Year of a Million or So Limited Time Cadets. That's right, kids. Still send in your birthdays and addresses to commutacoreweekly at gmail.com, and we'll make sure you're on the list to win some great prizes. So that's, again, commutacoreweekly at gmail.com, and you'll be on the list to win some amazing things. It's a one, sometimes it's a two with bippity poppity poo. With Jeff and George together, it's Communica Weekly for you. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm wishing for a Cinderella episode. See what I did there? Yeah. I didn't say my name. Instead, I sang a song. (laughs) I'm clever. (laughs) So people still have no idea who you are. I'm Jeff. There we go. There we go. Just in case there was any confusion as to who the other host was of the show after 166 <laughs> episodes. Well, this I'm could j- be somebody's very first time, and that, they just turned it off. That's true. I'm sorry for offending you, sir or madam. <laughs> but perhaps you'll turn it back on because we have a very special Cinderella-themed episode for you today in honor of the live-action film. Yeah, can we call it the bippity boppity sode? I will never refer to it as that only because I will never be able to remember it. But if you want to continue saying that for the rest of the episode, the bippity boppity sode, maybe. Yeah, there I, you go. I got it. Okay. Nailed it. Okay. Should we go. move on with the rest of the bippity boppity sode? Now I'm, I can't stop saying it. Oh, I sense a, a new t-shirt design. Bippity boppity sode. Uh, yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Let, let's, let's, let's keep it moving. History? Yep. History. It's time for Disney History! Cinderella is arguably one of the most popular fairy tales of all time. And most of you probably are familiar with it from the classic Disney film as well. But, you know, I dare say that's how most of you were actually introduced to the story to begin with. However, as rooted in our childhood memories as the Cinderella narrative is, the story of it actually goes back much, much further than you probably think. You know, in a way, they were kind of like two Cinderellas. There's the European folktale, they'd evolved into this, you know, the modern day story of the girl in the big blue gown. And then there's the century-old's plot that has been passed between uh, cultures for uh, millennia now uh, that really kind of has nothing to do with the story that we know. And now I keep singing, welcome, welcome, welcome to the big blue gown. Oh, I was going to go like Bear in the Big Blue House. Yeah. That's why I was going, the Bear in the Big Blue House. Nicely done. That would have been a new Cinderella, the Bell, the Bear in a Big Blue Ball Gown. I would watch that show. Yeah, it might be fun. Spin off. Okay, so though, though her name may change, the basic concept of the story has always stayed the same. A persecuted heroine who rises above her social station through marriage. Uh, Of course, today, that ideal is a bit antiquated, but it seemed to be the norm of society many, many years ago. Uh, Multiple variations of the tale actually exist, and the first recorded story featuring a Cinderella-like figure dates to Greece in the 6th century BCE. In that ancient story, a Greek courtesan named Rhodopis, or Rhodopis, yeah, we'll go with Rhodopis, 
has one of her shoes stolen by an eagle who flies it all the way across the Mediterranean and drops it in the lap of an Egyptian king, which somehow sounds like a Will Ferrell, Jack Black movie. Uh, actually, now that you say that, now I'm not going to get that image out of my head. Yeah, okay. Anyway, so... So, so Will Ferrell basically takes that shoe dropping from the <laughs> sky as a sign from the heavens, both literally and metaphorically, and the king goes on a quest to find the owner of the shoe. And when he finds Rostopis, is that what you just said? I think so. Okay. When yeah. he finds her, he marries her, and he lifts her from her lowly status to the throne. Aww. Okay, so in the 9th century AD, there's a version uh, that tells the story of a young girl named Yi Zhan. She's described as being intelligent, clever, and hardworking. Well, sort of like two podcast hosts, I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, except for the hardworking part. Fair point. And the clever. Well, no, we're clever. Are we? Anyway. Okay, so uh, this poor Yi Zhan, even though she's clever and intelligent and hardworking, she, lose, uh, she lost both of her parents. And then she finds herself alone in the care of her father's new wife, who not only mistreats her, but also denies her food and shelter. Now, Yi befriends a magical fish, as you often do, um, who kind of helps her in her time of need. And enraged that Yi has found a companion, her stepmother actually kills the fish, but Yi secretly retrieves the bones from the magical fish and hides them in her room. And Yi is granted one wish from some of the magical fish bones, which she uses to create a gown and golden slippers in the hopes of finding a husband. And a monarch comes across one of the golden slippers and sets off to find the woman who it belongs to. In 1634, the tale makes its first written appearance in Europe in an Italian version entitled La Gata Senartola. <clears throat> Sorry, got choked up there. Or The Cat Cinderella. This version is vastly different from the tales that we just spoke of. It's much, much more brutal and violent uh, as a cunning governess encourages Cinderella, uh, like a protagonist, to murder her uncaring stepmother only to appropriate her role, banishing Cinderella to a life of extreme hardship in which she loses even her name. Hence, being called Cat Cinderella. Which makes total sense to me. I mean, oh, that's the totally. first name I would pick when I lose my actual name. Yeah, Cat Jeff? Sure. Why not? So, the first version of Cinderella that bears a significant similarity to the one that we know and love actually emerged in the 17th century when a story called Cenoratola? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with that. Uh, yep. When it was published in a collection of Italian short stories. And Santa Rotola has all the ingredients we're used to today. You know, the wicked stepmother, the stepsisters, the magic, the missing slipper. But it's darker and just a bit more magical. So it probably would scare me still. Probably still, yes. Yeah, okay. So in the story, a woman named Zizola escapes the king who wants to marry her at two separate celebrations. Uh, before he finally catches her at the third one and prevents her from leaving. And instead of a story of unrequited love, Cenerentola is a story of forced marriage and six very wicked stepsisters. You see how all these stories are kind of going off the rails and they're nothing like what we know and love? This is how stories start out. They're just crazy. (laughs) So 60 years later, the Italian tale got a French twist and became the story that we know. Uh, In Cendrillon, 
Charles Peralt. I, I always say his name wrong. I'm sorry. I would say Perot, but yeah, it's probably Perot, Peralt. Peralt. Yeah. You know, he's the French writer who was credited with inventing the fairy tale. He actually cast the form that Cinderella would take for the next, you know, 400 years or so. He introduced the glass slipper, uh, the pumpkin, the fairy godmother, minus the bippity-boppity-boo. Um, and this is the version that Disney later adapted into its animated classic. And the brothers Grimm also collected the tale in their famous fairy tale compendium. That story called... <clears throat> Ashen Puddle, or Ashen Putel. Or Ashen appeared... Kutcher, whatever you want to say. <laughs> I don't think he's German. Oh, never mind. Anyway, uh, that, that story appeared more than 100 years after Perrault's, Perrault's version, but carried a lot of the same tropes. However, a- as you know, with a much darker twist. Cinderella's wishes came not from a fairy godmother, but from a tree growing on her mother's grave. Uh, her father, instead of being absent, as in uh, Peralt's tale, is willfully ignorant of his daughter's suffering. Now, in the Grimm version, uh, the heroine's slippers are made of gold, not glass. And when the prince comes to test the stepsister's feet for size, one of them actually cuts off her own toes to try and make the shoe Ugh. fit, which is pretty gross. Yep. Um, but in the end, Cinderella marries the prince, and her stepsisters actually serve as her bridesmaids, and doves peck out their eyeballs during the wedding ceremony. So needless to say, it's a beautiful tale for children to enjoy. So this is what it sounds like when doves peck your eyes out? <laughs> I should have saw random, that one coming. Random, random Prince reference. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, so well done. In the in the end, though, the story goes much deeper than that. Though the classic film and many versions of the tale actually talk about the wicked stepmother, that sort of thing was very common actually in everyday life. The tale of Cinderella didn't invent the idea of a wicked stepmother; it just borrowed it. Yeah, because stepmothers were kind of a a very common occurrence, uh, not because of divorce or remarriage, but because so many women died during childbirth during, you know, the very, very early centuries. So this meant that the new wife and her children were in direct competition with the first wife's child, not just for the love, but also for the inheritance. So, which, in a way, is what Cinderella is really about. Cold, hard cash. (laughs) Aren't we all? Okay. Though it's no longer true in today's world, Cinderella shows how society viewed women, very dependent on men to determine their place in the world. Cinderella begins the story as the daughter of a wealthy man. She's an upper-class, upper-middle-class girl with good prospects who could potentially marry into an upper-class family, even with more prospects. But once her mother dies and her father remarries, her position in the family shifts, and her marriage is no longer the primary focus of the family. So the tale of Cinderella written by uh, Perrault is even more blatantly about social class because it's, you know, message is pretty, pretty simple. By being nice and beautiful, a woman can earn herself a better life. Um, And when Disney adapted the film in 1950, it still took on that trope, even more showing what that time period thought of the women. You know, they could achieve the American dream, not through their own hard work, but only through marriage. Mm. Uh, Obviously, the Cinderella narrative has a long and profoundly rich history, which in some ways is sort of better than the tale we actually know it as today. So, A tale as old as time. That's a different episode altogether. Oh, sorry. Right? Yeah. Okay. I really thought you were going to finish that, but then I realized that's not the movie (laughs) we're talking about. I also realize now that I started off the episode by saying, I'm wishing for an episode about Cinderella. But that was actually from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes. So now I feel like a fool. That's okay. We've already had people yelling at their MP3 players or 
Something like that. And it was it was it was a test for the cadets. Listen, I caught my mistake and I'm owning up to it, guys. No, we wanted to test them to make sure. And, and I failed that test. Oh, no, them, not us. I still failed it. Okay. What are we well, talking about again? Uh, we were talking about Cinderella, the Bippity Bop episode. Cinderella, looking deep, Cinderella. All right, just okay, go, take us go, out of this go. segment. I'm done with it right, right now. Well, <laughs> we'd love to know what you think about the classic Cinderella tale as well as the other iterations throughout the past. Give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. That's 424-785-GOAT. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is A Wish Your Heart Makes, from the Grin Brothers, Ashen Puddle, to Disney Cinderella, by Charles Solomon. So we told you guys, this is a total bippity bop episode. I can't, awesome. I can't believe you're still saying it. I forgot that that was the thing you were saying. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So let's let's talk about this book, since this is the Book of the Week segment. Let's talk about um, books, baby. <laughs> what is happening right now? I have no idea. Okay, so over the past couple of years, Disney Publishing has put out some really great books that have been tied into major film releases. Uh, J.B. Kaufman, of course, wrote the definitive book on Snow White a few years ago, while Charles Solomon has tackled Sleeping Beauty, Toy Story, and a few other animated films. And Solomon has just written A Wish Your Heart Makes. And uh, based on his previous book about Sleeping Beauty, uh, I really was hoping for another great look at the history of the folktale and the anim- an- anim- animated film. <laughs> kind of like the last go-around with the Sleeping uh, Beauty book, the book looks at the history of the story of Cinderella a little bit before jumping in and going in-depth about the making of the film. Uh, much like the Sleeping Beauty book, the section on the Cinderella story itself is a little bit sparse. Uh, I dare say more sparse than uh, the Sleeping Beauty book. You know, mm-hmm. despite the tale being super old there just isn't a lot here that solomon has to say about it it's it's not a bad thing necessarily it's just a bit disappointing for those who wanted to read a little bit more about the story's origins yeah i mean because you know kaufman did a huge amount of research on the history of snow white and i really would have liked to have seen this for cinderella and and sleeping beauty because although i love the histories it still wasn't enough but you know solomon knows his audience and a lot of the people are going to pick up this book based on the live action film and that they loved the animated film as well. Um, Disnards are really going to enjoy it, but they'll realize, as Jeff said, there's a lot of ground that still needs to be covered. And, you know, Solomon, and we're really talking about Disney publishing here, really could have placed more emphasis on the original story than the new film, but the new life action film, of course, is driving the release of the book and all the marketing. So Yeah, I mean, it, it goes without saying that Solomon is a great animation historian. I mean, his research on the animated film is really good as well. You know, there's 15 pages for the origin story of Cinderella itself versus 75 for the animated film. Uh, that said, again, the main reason for the book is to push the new live-action film. So, of course, Disney is going to capitalize on that. However, being as how Solomon is really good at documenting uh, the history of animated films, I I really can't complain about the information he does bring to the table here for the 1950 uh, classic uh, Cinderella film. Yeah, when it comes to animation historians, there aren't many people that are more respected than Solomon, and I'm really glad that Disney has tapped him for uh, writing a few of these books. The section on the animated film is going to be the biggest reason for people to pick up the book. We follow along almost chronologically through the development of the film. There's a ton of concept artwork that leads us through the story development and the different iterations. 
And one thing that really surprised me was, you know, even though I knew Mary Blair had a heavy hand in it, it was changed so much in the final film, but you see her influence on the film through her concept artwork, and it's amazing. Oh, yeah. What she was able to bring across. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, didn't we get that other, that that Cinderella oh, storybook with Mary Blair's artwork? Yeah, with Mary, yeah, we've got that one. I think that's in our pile yeah, of <laughs> books to <true>. review. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's cool to kind of compare and contrast her concept art and uh, what was in the film. Um, but yeah, anyway, you know, honestly, the 75 pages of the animated film history are probably worth the price of the book alone. Um, I mean, even if you have no interest in the live action film, which honestly you should, um, but, or, you know, or no interest in the original tale, the animated history is totally worthwhile. And uh, like George said, you're definitely going to learn a couple of things along the way. Yeah, and the last section of the book is dedicated to the live-action version of Cinderella. I really enjoyed this section a lot more than I did uh, with the same section on the book about Maleficent that was released last year. Um, Solomon shares a lot of the background on the film, uh, again, a lot of the concept art, and really surprised me because there were a lot of digital images, but they looked like paintings. They really had a scope and a size to them. You know, as well as you learned about character information, the set designs, how they designed all the clothing. And one thing I really took away is that the live action film is really going to be gorgeous. And I did read the novelization of the book that they sent along. I guess that's maybe next week's review. And <laughs> it's it looks like it's going to be a really enjoyable film based on that section of the book alone. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and now it's just as we're talking about this, it's dawning on me that when the Beauty and the Beast live action film is released, they're probably going to do oh. a book like this just like... For that film yeah. as well and then when they released the tim burton dumbo film yes so <laughs> these are book a book series we're obviously going to have to get used to yes. um but yeah you know like george said it, you know it seemed much more in-depth and more enjoyable than the the section on the live action movie in the sleeping beauty book um you know a lot of fascinating details and it kind of made me more excited for the film to be honest with you mm-hmm. um it does look fantastic and kenneth Branagh seems to really have done his homework for the film and i know he's a fantastic uh, fantastic director i mean He's done amazing things like Hamlet and Thor. And I Thor, mean, yeah, rock. So I was a little bit panicked when you said he did his home. He did his homework. I was like, crap. I don't want to be a director if I got to do homework. You got to do homework, George. You got to do homework for every everything you do. Wow. Okay. In every job that must be done, there's an element <laughs> there's of fun. Element of fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so uh, I think we both recommend this book. We liked it. You're going to learn a lot from it. It is a wish your heart makes from the Grimm brothers. Passion Puddle to Disney Cinderella by Charles Solomon. Sometimes it's a one, sometimes it's a two. When you gotta go, what you gonna do? It's a bathroom break. A bathroom break. Nothing says Cinderella-themed episode quite like a royal bathroom break. But that's what you get when you visit Cinderella's royal table at Walt Disney World's (laughs) Magic Kingdom. What? What's so funny? I forgot this was the bippity bop episode. That's, yeah. Oh, well, I'm just tying it all together, man. That's what happens. <laughs> so, in between enjoying your royal feast and the princesses coming around to your table and the inevitable engagement that will take place, and it'll make your girlfriend mad at you for not doing it yet, you know, mm. you may need to excuse yourself to use the restroom. But how does one do so in the presence of royalty? Why? They excuse themselves to the little lords and ladies' room. That's right. This is the, the bathroom that supposedly Cinderella and slash or Prince Charming use when people are not invading their castle for food to eat at $39.99 a person. So if you have a res- you can only use this bathroom if you have a reservation. So you can't just sneak up there to use it. So if you're eating there, make sure you check out this royal restroom because 
No, I was gonna make a joke about a throne here. I'm not going yeah. to. Use yeah. your imagination, kids. Okay. You don't know what you know till we know you. You, you just don't know. Here's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. The Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village, renamed the Walt Disney World Village in 1977, and finally Downtown Disney in 1997, had its ribbon-cutting ceremony on March 22, 1975. And which Disney celebrity was on hand to cut the ribbon? Huh? Who Why was Cinder it? Oh, I did. Okay. It was Cinderella, of course, since this is our bippity-bop-isode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, now we know you. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. If you ever get the chance to visit the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, like we did on the Communitour, Tour, <laughs> um, you definitely have to stop at the Disney Legends Plaza because it's it's fantastic. You know, amongst all the handprints of some of the greatest people who have worked for the Walt Disney Company, you'll also see a gigantic replica of the actual Disney Legend Award itself. Um, this is actually the second one in, in existence. The first one w was made for Disneyland Paris, and then they made one here, and it was unveiled during a ceremony in 1998 to celebrate the company's 70th an 75th anniversary on October 16th, uh, 1998. And Andrea Falili? Uh, I think that's his name. Yeah, yeah. That's close. He yeah. actually designed and sculpted it, and he thought it would be fun to add a nice hidden tribute to it as well. So what does this all have to do with Cinderella? Well, if you look on the back side of the award, the ninth wonder of the world, hidden within the scroll is Gus Gus, one of Cinderella's mice friends, keeping the magic alive. So keep keep a lookout for that guy, because he's he's hidden in there. That's Dude. impressive. Every single segment we've done had something to do with Cinderella. I, I, we nailed it, guys. Wow. Everyone can go home now. Well, no, wait, wait, wait. We got some uh, big prize winners to announce. That's right. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> uh, as part of our Year of a Miller, Million or So Limited Time Cadets, uh, this week, in honor of our Cinderella-themed episode, we're not giving out one. We're giving out two prizes. Aren't you guys excited for that? Um, courtesy of Dis Disney Publishing, we're actually going to give away the book that we just reviewed, uh, A Wish Your Heart Makes by uh, Charles Solomon. And this week's winners are Melissa S. from Waco, Texas, and Jason B. from San Marcos, California. Congratulations, Yay. you two. And don't forget, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you can still enter. There's plenty of time. Just send your name, your address, and your birthday to CommuniCoreWeekly at gmail.com. And not only will you get a special surprise on your birthday, but you'll be getting a, yeah, wow, be given a chance to win one of our fabulous weekly prizes. <laughs> Just for reference to some wow. of your some of your birthdays you're sending in now, but they had already passed, and I'm still retroactively um, sending that birthday thing to you. So if you're sending in a birthday that already happened, that's okay. You're probably still gonna get that birthday thing. Wait, so like you're using the time machine? Um, I can't I can't talk about that right now, George. I thought we agreed we George, had rules. George, we, we can't, would only we can't go talk back about together. First of all, the cadets, you're. you're giving this stuff away oh okay okay i'm sorry well, well thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of communicore weekly please leave us a comment on itunes or on youtube wherever you watch or listen to the show we want to hear from you yes and email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com just to tell us how much you loved the bibbidi bop episode 
<laughs> I keep forgetting that's a thing. <laughs> and it makes me laugh every time. Um, of course, like us on the Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly. Yes, and, and follow us both on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding. He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, give us a call on the Communico Weekly Goat Line at 424-785-4628. And visit CommuniCoreWeekly.com and click on the link for Communistore where you can pick up awesome t-shirts and a copy of Communicore Weekly, the musical. And to get your very own official cadet membership card and stickers, mm-hmm. send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Camino Core Weekly at P.O. Box 432 Orange, California, 92856. And you can support us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Weekly. We've got some special surprises for subscribers. Heck Yay. yes. Awesome. So for Jeff Heimbuck. I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the bippity boppiest greatest online show. A dream is a wish your heart makes when Your dreams in Sunday Your rainbow will come shining